0: So, um, Good evening. ons um, is. This evening we are going to be talking about the um, view of South Africa from afar and um Ivan I know your Afrikaans is really cool um and your cross are even better but um <laughs> but we we seem to be obsessed with what the people the the islanders think about us so we're going to explore that a little bit but before we get into it I'd like to introduce my very esteemed panel starting with Ivan Fallon who represents all of Ireland here today he started as a journalist with the Irish Times in 1964 right and then progressed Upward and onward through just about every single um, senior editorial position that he could have until he became the editorial director at the Independent. Then, for his sins, he was sent to South Africa just after, in 95, to head up um, the Independent newspapers company here. And then, for more sins, went to London to head up the company there. Ivan is um, uh, happily somewhat retired, although a prolific writer, has written many, many um, bio- autobiographies, um, um, and will bring a very, very deep view of um, South Africa as seen from afar. He's been wrangling editors and people for, for absolute years, and uh, Liz is with us tonight. They live partly in London and partly in Cape Town. Um, so welcome, Ivan, thank you, and we won't force you to speak Afrikaans. My um, Our only Ruus on die is Mardia van der Korsten, and while I count Mardia as one of my, my very good friends, uh, she is a Marty. she's a former, she got her master's in clinical psychology here at the University of um, Stellenbosch, then after that worked with some of the notable companies, MNET, a couple of big things there, and then ended up at um, T-Systems, where she was acting CEO and then basically stamped, stomped her beautiful foot and said, I'm either acting or, or I'm either the CEO or I'm out. But the net result of that is that they have. she's built the company into the biggest IT outsourcer and her masters sit in Germany. So she's been building an African business as well from the beginning of the year for her sins. Um, and so we'll be able to hear from her what Africa thinks of us as an investment destination, whether whether we're nice partners to have or not. And then on my right, Ntunzi Ndwaba, who is, hails from the Eastern Cape, my mic has got no, my yeah, um, from Colville Herschel, and I said to him earlier this afternoon, I don't think they know what you're doing, Ntunzi. Ntunzi studied law, he has a BA, LLB from Wits University, then did that whole legal thing, and then he snapped out of it. But more notably, and he and Marty have this in common, built an extraordinary IT company in talk IT. And there's a long story attached to that, but really why I'm interested in Tunzi is he is a, and I have to read this because otherwise somebody's going to hit me over the head. He is an advisor to the president of the International Organization um, of Employers in Geneva, but also on the governing body of the ILO. And those people talk about work creation and job creation, and I think probably quite frustrated with South Africa or the lack of progress. So we have a marvelously diverse panel here. So without further ado, let's dive in. Uh, we did promise when we started this program that we could do both languages. We'll, we'll translate on the fly if we have to. My Cosa sucks, but my Afrikaans in English, fine. But Maria, let's start with you. You've been trying to build a business in Africa, an IT outsourcing business, low margins, tough business. Many people have gone down. What do the rest of Africa think of us? So when you land there, what do they say? Wat sê hulle? Ons kan Afrikaans praat doen. Um, daar
1: is verskillende, of daar wisselende emosie oor suid afrikaners op die continent.
0: Harder.
1: Goed?
2: Harder. Onmiddellik?
1: Harder. <laughs> kan jy my nou hoor? Ja. Uitstekend. Daar wisselende emosie oor suid afrikaners op die continent. In die eerste plek denk ek baie keer sien suid afrikaners reself ongelukkig nie as deel van Afrika nie. So dit was my eerste stap, was eindelijk om my mede afrikaanse collega's in die systems Zuid-Afrika te laat verstaan dat hulle deel is van die Afrika-strategie van die systems want hulle is deel van Afrika. Um, ons het verskillende lande besoek met McKinsey een gedoen en besluit op Oost-Afrika en West-Afrika-strategie met Nigeria as die West-Afrika gangzoek, en Kenia as die Oost-Afrika gangzoek. Die Keniane is nie Ek praat nou, ons veralgemeen nou maar een bykie. Maar die Keniane is nie mal oor die Zuid-Afrikaners nie. Die Zuid-Afrikaners word beskou as arrogant. Hulle word beskou as die Amerikaners van die continent. Wat bigger, is, bigger and better ons vertel vir hulle hoe goed gedoen moet word. Ons gaan vir hulle vertel hoe dit moet gebeur. Um, en die Keniane is nogal um, komputerend. Um, en sien hulle self, beslist nie as ondergeskik aan die, Zu- die Zuid-Afrikanders nie. So dit was een interessante proces vir my om een invalshoek te vind, oor hoe een mens in die plek ingaan. Ek is nie Keniaans nie, ek ken Kenia nie, Kenia is vir ons die beg- die, die ingang tot die hele Oost-Afrika mark, so dit is verskrikkelijk belangrijk dat hy jou self positioneer en ek het een double whammy, ek is een Zuid-Afrikaner, ek is een vrou, maar ek moet sê, daarmee het ek nog nie eindelijk groot issues gehad in Kenia spesifiek glad nie, um, maar ek is ook verteenwoordigend van Duitse maatschappij, want uh, die Systems International of Deutsche Telekom is die, die maatschappij wat ek verteenwoordig. Die aanvaarding van die Duitse brand is ongelooflik. Hm, yes. um, interessante stalkie net, ek het met drie, drie jong bankiers gepraat van Standard Chartered Bank in Kenia, en um, ek het bieke net uitgevind oor competitie, hoe sien hulle ons moendelike competitie, jy weet, die Chinese, die Indiers op die continent en soan, toe kyk hulle so na my te sê hulle, but they don't build Mercedes-Benzes. So die concept van kwaliteit, jy weet vanuit de Duitse oogpunt, is interessant. As jy als een Zuid-Afrikaner ingaan, moet jy met een sachte invalshoek ingaan. Een non-arrogante, en dit is beslis ons benadering, ons gaan in om te sê ons wil leer, um, ons, wil wil, ons wil, wil, wil vernootskap, ons wil partnership skep, ons gaan bijvoorbeeld als die systems ten minste 30-40% local aandeelhouer soek, um, want ek, ek glo in die recept in elk geval, ek denk dit is een recept in een omgeving, in een land, as jy rechtige verskil wil maak, bring jy die beste van die internationale brand, maar jy trou dit met die beste van die, van, die, van, die, van die lokale, want dit is waar die markkennis sit, dit is waar die verhouding sit, um, and the history is so, so that we have with a in
0: Africa. And Ivan, so she's told a story of the South Africans being seen as very arrogant, in Kenya particularly, that they see as the access point for their business, for business development there. What do you see from your vantage point? How is South Africa
3: viewed? Well, it, in Britain, it's so easy to find many lurid headlines of South Africa. And South Africa, I guess, is more uh, interesting...
0: I thought they were a rowdy bunch, aren't they? We haven't they even started yet. <laughs> uh,
3: South Africa is, um, is much closer to Britain, I think, than probably it is to yeah, Germany did I point or France. why not you come and or... fix this
0: mic, please? Thank just a moment, please. Is that better? Hell yes.
3: It's probably just the positioning.
0: And these chairs are diabolical, if I may say so, so yeah. we'll only be here an hour. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Is that yes, that's much better, I hope. Can you hear? Um, I think if people, if people want to think ill will of South Africa, and most don't, I have to say, uh, in Britain, uh, there's plenty of lurid headlines. And obviously the Pistorius piece was huge. Marikana was huge. Um, the, the, um, the, the, the farmers um, in, uh, in, the, in, in the Western Cape has been very big. So many other issues. But uh, before I came out, I actually did look at Look out, uh, got Times and the Telegraph online and looked at some of the um, uh, particularly, I think hugely damaging headlines um, about uh, South Africa and Britain, which I'll read you some. One says, UFO sightings on the rise in SA. <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> then we
3: have, Richard Branson's heir marries his society beauty, Isabel Calthorpe in South Africa felt. Uh, lucky escape for a baby elephant in Durban. Donkey meat found in sa pies. That's a big. That's a,
0: uh, this is not a horse.
3: That's a, that's a big story in Britain actually because the, the meats the uh, the uh, horse meat uh, st- horse meat is running very big as a story in Britain. And finally, gull stars with the ball as Pakistan thrash South Africa. That's a sports story. I have to say. About 80% of the headlines were about sport, so, um, uh, so although so, uh, Britain is certainly has a huge interest in South Africa, it's not that, huge, it's not that big a fascination, and people are not looking all the time for bad stories. Now, that isn't to say there aren't, there aren't uh, some bad headlines, too, and some of the other headlines were much more horrific, like, outrageous South African, please drag handcuffed man behind Van." and that played very big, and another story, South Africa's Cash-22, Buy a Gun and Die. Um, <laughs> and there have, as I say, been literally thousands of headlines on Oscar Pistorius, but I think that Pistorius uh, is a completely different kind of story. This is not a South African story. This is a kind of world story, and a, a Greek tragedy of a story. It isn't typical of South Africa. It's more typical, if you like of... Uh, America, where these things have occurred. Um, it's it's, uh, it's uh, Oscar Pistorius was a, a world figure rather than a South African figure. He became absolutely the iconic figure in the uh, in the Summer Olympics, both Summer Olympics in um, in Britain, in London. And um, what what, I, what it did do, though, I think, is to focus attention on the um, on the violence in South Africa on the gun licenses, um, on the fact that, you know, 15,000 murders took place with guns last year. And that figure is often quoted. Rape and domestic violence statistics are trotted out. So it did focus attention on that. um, uh, But... um, Otherwise, I think it was very much a non-South African issue. And actually, when one talks about what you know, the, the image of violence and crime and all the rest of it, which lots of people in Britain talk about, um, uh, in the first nine months of last year, 8 million tourists came to South Africa, uh, which is a 10% increase in, on the previous year and um, it's worth remembering so it'll be nine million or so over the past for the whole year so uh, in the last year the uh, 1993 the last year before the election there was a million foreign tourists in south africa so it's gone from a million to nine million which does suggest that south africa is not necessarily has that bad a reputation um overseas and people uh, who come here, we all know, love it, and go back as great envoys of South Africa, encouraging their friends and relatives to visit, and those of us who have houses in South Africa uh, find ourselves basically running hotels through the, through the summer season. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that I mean, foreign investment is still coming in, it's attracted by the combination of higher interest rates and a view, which I think is probably ill-founded, that the rand is oversold and will recover. I mean, the latest figures in the papers today even show that. Um, but I, I want to raise a more sober note uh, about the image of South Africa or the dangers of uh, of of, uh, of what is happening, what may be happening uh, at, at an increasing speed, uh, and and could be very damaging and dangerous for for South Africa. Which is the the uh, view of South Africa not among the population, general population of Britain or elsewhere, as in the, in the banks in the city of London, in Wall Street, in Frankfurt, and so on, where there is, I think, in growing concern that uh, Providence Gordon's budget deficit has crept up to over 5%. Still low by the standards of countries like, including Britain, which is 14%, or Greece or Germany, or Greece or any other country in Germany. But in Trevor Emanuel's time, it was zero. In fact, uh, Trevor Emanuel was actually paying down debt. So we've gone from a budget surplus to 5% um, in um, in only uh, five years. Um, and um, the the uh, the problem, the point about that really is that South Africa is now borrowing. Um, 170 billion rand a year, which is the gap between the expenditure and the the revenues. The revenues have gone down, the revenues went down by 5 or 6% (coughs) last year, expenditure has also gone down, or or Pravin Gordon is certainly trying to hold it down, but the gap is 170 billion rand. And he has to borrow that money, and where does he get it? Well, he, he, he gets it mostly now from foreign investors. 36% of all the domestic bonds in South Africa are held by foreigners. Now, that's gone from 12% to 36%. So without that, he wouldn't be able to balance his budget. And the problem there is that money is really attracted, as I say here, by higher interest rates and by uh, the fact that uh, it's been a reasonable country to invest in in the past. Um, But um, for how long? Um, South African debt, as we all know, has been... Downgraded in the past five months and looks like being downgraded again, um, which means that Previn Gordon is having to pay more for his money, which means there's less to spend on schools and hospitals and other projects. Um, and um, after Marikana, Marikana really was a watershed. I think I think the uh, the importance of Marikana is really uh, underestimated uh, by by most people. I think it was very very significant and. Uh, we all know investors, um, in fact, for, for bidding for the, in, uh, the independent newspaper company, there was a couple of investors, including Rupert Murdoch, who were said to have backed off after Americana and because lots of other episodes as well. It certainly had a major effect uh, on the uh, view of the international mining industry on South Africa um, and followed, as it was, by big increases in wages. And I kind of rather, um, uh, you know, well, we don't care, it's all your fault, mining industry, by the by the ministers. And some of the statements I think made at that stage were pretty unfortunate. And, and, you know, and those big international companies can invest anywhere. They don't have to invest in South Africa. They like South Africa. There's wonderful minerals in South Africa. But they've only got limited resources and they, they look at other countries in Africa, which are more welcoming. They look at Brazil, they look at Australia, they look at lots of other countries. There's plenty of places to invest, uh, even the US and Canada. Um, So they don't have to come here, which I think is a great shame because it's a hugely important industry and it was liked very much by the uh, the international mining industry. And also we we got some extraordinary statements, I think, from uh, ministers and even from Zuma. Uh, Zuma uh, last week was in um, London and warned, warned Western governments that what he called a colonial approach to Africa is paving the way for further influence by competitors such as China. He said, business in the West has a tendency to lecture Africa, saying that they have a psychological problem with the country. Um, He said, "I've, I've said it to the private sector from the Western countries, look, you have got to change the way you do business with Africa if you want to regain Africa. If you want to treat Africa as a former colony, then people will go to new partners Are going to treat them differently? That was an interview he gave the Financial Times. I think that's a kind of very unfortunate thing to say because the the reaction to that is, well, you know, mining mining companies are what they are, the big international companies. They don't think colonial. They just think, where is the money? Where is the money? And uh, if that means that Zuma prefers the Chinese, well, I think heaven help help us all. But my my essential point really is that um, if the perceptions of South Africa do cause the international financial community suddenly, and these things happen incredibly suddenly, as they happen incredibly overnight with Ireland, with Greece, with Spain, with Portugal, and those countries have to be bailed out by the, international, by the European community. Well, we, we don't have a European community to bail us out here. So if they turn against South Africa, we will see money withdrawn, we'll see the rand dropping, we'll see SA debt downgraded again. Gordon will be forced to pay even more for plugging the gap be more cuts in government spending, and that's the vicious circle, the vicious spiral that he must dread. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a very ap- apocalyptic view, but I think there's no doubt that international perceptions of South Africa as a, as a safe haven for a foreign investment are enormously important to every aspect of, of life in this society.
0: Thank you, thank you. There's lots there. Can I just tell you, we, we spoke about Marikana last night. We had uh, people talking about that. And one of our um, uh, audience members stood up and said, well, the mining, e- you know, mining Im- economy is only about 10%, maybe 9%, 10% of our total economy. And then one of my speakers said, no, 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 no. When you look at all the related things, it goes up to 40 or even more. So to dismiss it as something that is an, a decreasing sector what, when there's nothing really to take its place is just nonsense. We'll talk about Marikana some more. Um, So Mtunz, you have to go to Geneva every so often to go and talk about what we're doing on um, you know, within the ILO environment. How hard is your job when the background that's sketched by both Mardia and and Ivan is really not that terribly pleasant dealing with us, is it?
2: Um... I think it would not cross up, right? Just to make sure, you know, there's a balance, you know. So I think it's important. Can you hear me, sir, so that you don't also <laughs> ask me to speak up? <laughs> um, I, um, I think you know, both Mardia and Ivan have said some very important things, um, and I'm going to try and focus on the question you've asked me. Then maybe we can connect the dots later.
0: You don't ever focus on the question that I. No, I don't. No, I,
2: I, I, I try not to, but today I will. You know, out of respect to the colleagues here, but but I think you know my job at the ILO, um, and and I suppose I cannot talk about my job at the ILO without talking my about my job in the B20. Um, because I also serve on the business side of the G20, and then the International Organization of Employers. It's Tell all them
0: what that is.
2: Interwoven. The okay. And the, G20. the ILO stands for the International Labour Organization and determines what happens in the workplace as we know it. You know, the eight-hour week or whatever. And then the IOE, being the International Organization of Employers, is the largest private sector um, network in the world with about 165 countries, and I and I represent more often than not that in the SADC, and also I do go and deliver papers every now and then in other parts of the world. And then the Business 20 is really the 20 countries that make the Gs, and then, you know, business has to have an equivalent kind of team that works with the presidents and so on. So one has to talk about all of that because the main issues that are raised at every meeting one goes to is youth unemployment. Youth unemployment is the biggest, if you choose to not take it seriously, you will call it the, the latest buzzword, but if you take it seriously, you will know that it's a serious problem throughout the world. Um, and South Africa is no exception. We, we have a very big youth population that is unemployed. So for me, that is an area that we must talk about. And and when you hear where I come from, um, this Colville Heschel that you talked about, I mean, it's it's in the rural villages of the Eastern Cape, really where nothing used to happen. But in the last three weeks, those of you who watch TV and read the newspapers, my mother was telling me that she can't go to the one side of town to spray 20 kilometers away because the youth are blocking roads, throwing stones at cars, and uh, you pay 50 rand to go through a man-made toll to get to the town. And so she has to go to Lady Grey or Alival Noort to do the shopping. And my aunt was telling me the same things and I was tweeting about it because that's the only way you can get to hear sometimes what happens in that part of the world because nothing happens, as I said. So when you take that reality um, of what happens, which for me is shocking, that, you know, when I go home and leave Johannesburg, I always think I'm now going to Coveland, you know, I'm going to have peace. And so this happens right on our doorstep. Um, and then you take it then to the international um, environment in terms of what Ivan was saying just now, you know, South Africa, other than just having moved from a zero budget to a, a minus five in the last five years, has also moved in terms of perception hugely, in my view. You know, you focused a lot on Great Britain, but in the eyes of the world. Um, those of us who serve on the ILO, you know, one has the occasion and the pride to represent South Africa and represent the world. But you do note that five, six years ago, when you pressed the button and they said, Afrik desuut, everybody tend to look back when you speak. And these days when they say, "Afric the suits, other people fall asleep. You know? mm-hmm. So if you look at that as body language, it sort of tells you what people think of you these days. And, and, and your psyche as a person who is observant and watches, you can see that you know, we need to do something. But the unfortunate thing is that when you talk about it at home, somehow you know, we have a huge arrogance and people who refuse to to listen and do something about it. Um, A very typical example of it, you know, which I also tweeted about a few days ago and a few friends of mine retweeted. uh, I I take it we do tweeting here in Stellenbosch. Hell Um, no. Yes. So, 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 yeah. No, I just want to be, you're sick of this. So so what happens is that, you know, there's this whole talk about us being the gateway uh, to Africa. And for the last year and a half, some of us have been saying this has always been somewhat of a misconception as being a a, a huge fallacy that we are a gateway into Africa. But there was a point at which we could have leveraged that fallacious position, Mm -hmm. right? But these days, it is so untrue that it's embarrassing. I actually want to run away when somebody says it in front of me because I know it to be untrue. Nobody now comes via South Africa to go anywhere else anymore because there's no point, because we're busy messing things up. And so you can't do that. And so my tweet a few days ago was, you know, if a few years ago South Africa sprinted into the global village and sprinted into the hearts of the global um, uh, people and uh, but forgot that it's an endurance race. It has to be sustainable. And so for me, from a sustainability point of view, there are huge question marks on South Africa. There are huge question marks on creating employment. We've talked for the last 10 years about how we need 7% to 8% growth for us to create jobs. Because there's a difference between talking about a modest, nonsensical 2% growth as readjusted now, or 2.5, and talking about job-rich growth. There's a very big difference. You know, you can talk about growth, which takes you nowhere, but you can also talk about job-rich growth, but the sadness of South Africa is that it is a country that grows because it can, not because we're doing anything to grow it. It does so because it's just on automatic, and, and, but it can only go so, f- so, f- so far until it stops. At some, sto- at some stage, it's gonna stop unless we do something to it. It's also the only country that I'm aware of. Um, two, in fact, points I want to make. When we had the, the financial crisis um, in 2008, the G20 countries asked the ILO to come up with a response to the synchronized global financial crisis. At the ILO, we then convened a, 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 a conference which was called, the, referred to as the Jobs Pact in June of 2009. The G20 then said, okay, implement now and show us how to implement, which has been happening since, hence the B20 under Sarkozy in 2009, 2010, under the Mexicans in 2011, and now under the Russians, and next year under the Australians. It came from that implementation, help us implement South Africa, interestingly, was the only country in November of 2008 that took proactive action not to be affected by the global crisis. It was one of the very few countries. So much that in June of 2009, at the Global Jobs Pact, we bragged about how we had been called by President Beggy and then President, acting at the time, Khalima, to talk about how we can have interventions and so on. But we are also one of the few countries who having proactively planned We never did anything about it. We planned, but never implemented. Nothing happened. We talked and talked and talked about it, and nothing happened. That's the one thing. The other one that we also need to know is that we must be aware that many countries get downgraded, as you were saying, but they get downgraded because they have serious real problems. Serious real problems needing bailouts and all those things. But South Africa is the only country that is being downgraded because of political uncertainty, infrastructure, lack of expenditure on monies that exist, but that either go back to the treasury or disappear, right? So, 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 so for me, those are things we need to think about, is to say, well, how do we change that? And that, I think for me, the international community, on the one hand, hailed us as a miracle during Mandela's time, and when you do that, you must also know you are also watched a little bit more than others. There's also that reality that we are watched a little bit more than others because of the miracle. Yes. And now we are dropping everybody. So everybody is getting very disappointed with us, hugely disappointed.
0: Thank you. Um, Mardia, to you, and, and you can answer this in your best technical or clinical, Afrikaans if you like. There is a term called narcissism um, that we talk about in, in psychology, clinical psychology. And uh, somebody once said to me, oh, in brief, there are only two kinds of narcissists, those who look in the mirror every day and fall in love all over again, and those who really are hollow princes and don't believe anything that's going on. So where are we? What do we do about this? Because to me, both these things are there. There's this grandiosity that isn't backed up by implementation, there are enough ideas, but... What do we? As a, you started life as a clinical psychologist, or professional life. What do we do?
1: <laughs> to take, take you back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, and and
1: someone um, gave an analysis. I had a, the privilege of being invited by Nick Benedel to a to a meeting with some old stalwarts of the ANC, um, Murphy Morobe, and, and guys who who I have a lot of respect for. Oh, Vice En um, die gesprek die hele aand was oor die onvermoe van die regerende partij op die stadium, en dit is nie net die regerende partij, dit is van mense, en, 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 dit, is, dit is maar waar van ons allemaal op die stadium, um, om hulle self raak te sien, of om die of om die leem te sien hulle self, en die, die absolute narsasistische vandering zelfliefde um, amper, en dat as enig iemand wat kritiek tegen jou het, word uitgekryd as, as die vijand. Mm. Mm. So, jy kan nie eers een behoorlijke democratische debat heen. Een van die interessante goed in die verkiesing op die oomlik in Kenya, die meest fenomenale presidentiële debat, wat ek gesien het, is in Kenyatta en Odinga. Ons het dit nog nooit in ons land gesien nie, of ons het dit nie in die laaste twee jaar nie gesien nie. Een vlak van debatvoering, en verskil van mekaar, en, en ernstig, Ik weet, dis niet mooie taal geweest of lekker om na te luister, nie, maar daar was ernstige aantijgings, maar een geweldige oopplatform, wat geskept twee van die debatte, wat, wat op nationale televisie uitgesaai Ik Ek denk die groot skade van my, en ek nou praat ek as ek my Duitse, en ek is nie Duits, en ek, ek afrikaans maar my Duitse andeelhouders hoed opzet. Um, die Duitse bezigheid in suid afrika verskaf 90.000 directe werke, hmm. en 90.000 mensen wat indirect werk die door Duitse bezighede. Ons praat van Mercedes-Benz, die systems BMW, um, Volkswagen. Volkswagen, Audi, al daar maatskapie. Ek bedoel, hy let nie die cijfers op die oomlik om te sê, waar die beide raad van die maatskapie in termen van belegging in die land op die oomlik is nie, maar nie die drie motormaatskapie alleen spandeer elk, of beleer elke biljoenrand. So, dit is enorme, enorme beleggings. En die gevaar wat ons op die oomlik het, en, en, en um, ons het het genoem vroeger in termen van die competitie vir investment. Daar is plekke waar jy niet die geld, as jy kyk na foreign direct investment, sy percentatie, wat kom na Suid-Afrika versus die rest van Afrika nou? Maar toen sy praat van die, 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 die fallacy rondom Suid-Afrika as die guide te na Afrika, het is niet nie waar nie, as jy kyk na die, na die hoeveelheid van geld wat nou spandeer word in Nigeria en Kenya, in, in, in die rest van Afrika, ons is bezig om uit te verloor en een deel daarvan gaan oor hierdie gevoel van, maar ons dink ons is onmisbaar en hoe meer ons in een hoek ge, 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 geverf word, hoe meer klauw ons vast en hoe meer vecht ons terug. Um, ek is ongelooflik bekommerd daar van die Paris titels op die oomlik, um, is bezig om te sê dat groot contracten niet sal gaan na maatskapie wat 50% Zuid-Afrikaans besit is. Hmm. Dit maakt het amper onmoendlik voor multinationals om die buitenraad te kom lever. En as ek kijk naar die, na die werkschepen, waar die kennis en die kundigheid en die manier hoe dit gedoen wordt, natuurlijk is al zekerlijk ons wat dit op een kolonialistische of paternalistische manier doen. Ek zie niet dat dit nie moeilijk is nie. Maar my ondervinding, vooral in die termen van in die tyd waar ons is, is mense sensitief daarvoor. Die, die opleidingsgeleendhede die bydra is is ongelooflik en as ons nie uit hierdie hoe kan kom nie maar ek net net voor ek afslyt ek dink vir my een van die kritiese gedin dit is 'n bietjie van 'n sielkundige ding sien jy hy het jou bietjie pink gemaak 'n bietjie van van die sielkundige aspek daarvan is ek dink amper gevaarliker than what the world is saying about us a little bit more dangerous is what we are starting to think the, the, about ourselves the delusional ourselves. the
0: delusional aspect but it's,
1: it. it cuts two ways The one is the delusional, the powerful, the I will fight anything who says anything a little bit negative, so I will just be blind to that. But the more dangerous one for me is us starting to believe that that we are useless and that we are unable to get out of this situation. Because for me, leadership is about giving hope. Leadership is about leadership being able to tell its people, whether it's a country or a company, that we will get out of this mess. Here is the plan, and here is how we will step out of it. And that for me is more dangerous because if we lose hope collectively. And I sat on the plane this morning flying here, and there was a guy sitting two seats away from me. There was a guy in the middle, and he was bashing. I could not listen to it any longer. And unfortunately, some of it is true. So I have to, factually, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is true. But it is how we are going to get out of this. And
0: that, for me, is the critical issue. So from the narcissistic to the self-abusive, like if that thing doesn't work, then we go back and, and you know, retaliate you know, and injure ourselves in that way. Ivan, what's to be done? You saw the debate around Mangaung. You saw the leadership there, there where apparently the ANC leaders in Bloemfontein said, yeah, we failed. Cadre deployment has failed. What now? What do we do now to, to prevent this spiral into despondency and self-abuse and, what, you know, all these psychological terms?
3: Well, I, I don't think we need a, a brilliant government or a brilliant leader. Um, I think we just need an okay leader. Just, just, we just need... We just need... We just We need competence. Just... just a, 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 <laughs> um, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> they like it. They like it. Continue. <laughs> well, we don't even need a leader. Uh, I mean, if you, if you actually, if you leave economies more or less alone, and, and yeah. actually the truth of the matter is that nobody in the world can manage an economy. Nobody in the world can manage a modern country. The idea that uh, Obama can manage America or anybody can manage America is beyond the capacity of anybody. Managing Britain is absolutely beyond the capacity of any human being, superhuman beings, uh, and anybody. And it hasn't... It has, it has, and it's probably been so increasingly so for the last 60 years. But economies now, modern economies, are so incredibly complicated. There's just so many factors. You can't even really manage a ministry. Mm. I mean, cabinet ministers in Britain will tell you that their ministry is actually out of control. If you manage the Home Office, the Home Office used to be perfectly simple. You pulled a lever and something happened. You made a decision and something happened. It doesn't now. If if, I mean, we've had so many home secretaries, I think we've had 10 home secretaries over the past 15 years. Most of them have been sacked. Most of them have, have, have been involved in scandals because a prisoner is let out and goes and kills somebody or because uh, you know, a, 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 too many immigrants are coming in illegally or something else. Everybody is caught by surprise. And South Africa is in exactly the same situation. But, so the, all you have to do is let the economy alone. Let the, let the country bubble on. But don't... Ruin it. Don't throw spanners in the works. If we just leave it on its own, so get out of any way. We, uh, uh, we need. We need. We don't need a leader. We just need someone to stand back and and not bugger it up, which 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 is which is unfortunately. Yeah, so. um, um, uh, you know it it, it it takes enormous skill. Anybody can anybody can ruin an economy. Nobody can actually run an economy properly. And at the end of the day, what everyone says in Clinton's great phrase is, it's the economy is stupid. It is the economy. Everything you said about jobs and youth unemployment and all the rest of it. South Africa's the highest unemployment rate in the world. 25% official rate, everybody knows that, in fact, those people who have given up looking for jobs takes it up some well above 30%, and actually in various areas it must be getting on 60 and 70%, particularly in, in, in youths, youth, um, and that is, that is horrific. And I don't know what those people are going to do for the next 40 years. I don't believe they're just going to sit and wait, um, uh, all that energy and all that. And, and that is, that is a, so that's a, that's a, a, a huge situation which is absolutely not being dealt with. And, and as you said, the, 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 and that's been true, and Trevor Manuel used to preach it, that uh, 7% is the minimum figure you need to begin tackling, play, uh, tackling unemployment. At 2%, work, the unemployment is increasing. Mm. Uh, we're not even keeping pace with, with uh, the population growth. Let alone the number of immigrants coming in. So, uh, you know, those are problems that are, are being stored up. So, what do we do about it? I think you get rid of Zuma. Um, uh, but how you do that, I, I, you know, that's a, 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 an issue well beyond my competence to comment about. But um, we all have great hopes for, for uh, Cyril. Uh, we've always had great hopes for Cyril. Uh, thank goodness he's finally there, but uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing it would have been if he'd actually taken over in 1999. I think that would have been well, fantastic Well, that's fantastic interesting, because the,
0: right. last, uh, the last, last night we had a long debate about capitalism, the ills of capitalism, the exploitive nature of capitalism, all that kind of stuff, and Cyril Ramaphosa's name came up a lot as mm. somebody who is finally on the stage now. Um, I don't want to go into the party politics because I think that would be, that would be a whole other topic. The nice thing is that the old slogans seem to have disappeared. Remember there was an anti-globalization movement? People talked about globalization, then anti, which was like, you know, a little um, uh, defensive move. Nobody's talking about that anymore. The economies are that interconnected. Governments aren't just national governments because their assets sit all over the place. It is increasingly, increasingly complicated.
3: And once you sign up to WTO and GATT, you're lost. There you go, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so who's driving? You know, who's driving? That's what's wiped out uh, the whole of the manufacturing industry of Britain, the whole manuf- central manufacturing industry of, of the U.S. The U.S. has got no textile industry. Britain's got no textile industry. France has got no textile industry. And Germany's got no textile industry. It's all gone east yeah. uh, because but of globalization. Um, uh, you now, globalization's got many benefits, but uh, that's the other side of it. And, of course, as soon as South africa 's uh, signed up to it, South Africa, which had quite a big textile industry, that's gone too. There's no textile industry in in South Africa. Other manufacturing industries go the same way. You cannot compete with uh, countries that, uh, uh, in the the case of the West, still can employ 20 people for your every one. And they don't have the kind of um, unions that South Africa have, and they don't have... The, uh, the, the labor laws that South Africa have, and they have a work ethic and the and skills with skill training, which is quite different to uh, even even Britain and other countries, which mm. uh, have not been able to compete, let alone South Africa having to compete. So those are jobs going away. And I think one of the other factors, uh, which is, I think, very worrying, is the fact that it's the trade deficit South Africa's got. I mean, yeah. exports are soaring yeah. and and, and imports, uh, sorry, imports are, are soaring, and exports around, yeah. are, are falling, the trade gap. The trade gap in January was 25 billion rand. In December, it was 2.7. So, you know, that's, a, a, that's a, I don't know quite where that's going. There's obviously special factors in yesterday, there, Americana and all the rest of it. But
0: Yesterday, we had a, uh, we, we... Very neatly parried um, in my new job, and I have to be a you know shameless shameless ad here for World Design Capital Cape Town 2014. Uh, the Italian ambassador summoned us to his residence um, in Bishop's Court, and he talked about Chinese artisans working in Florence now making the Italian shoes. So that whole that whole shift, but turns. I think that they're attacking international organizations a little bit here. So what is the role of the ILO? I mean, is this is just this another talking shop? Is this hot air? Is it's presentations, it's papers, and then what? Because it feels like we need something.
2: Well, I, I, I'm just tempted also, though, to say that even us who are cyclists, I ride an Italian yeah. bicycle. That, that is made in Taiwan or China, so I, I, it took me to go to Italy to discover this. I went to the factory and they said, ah, we don't make anything. Yeah, you know, we just assemble, assemble. But, but, but I, think, I think for me, the, the, the ILO used to be a toothless organization, actually, uh, until 2008. It's quite interesting. Until the financial crisis, the ILO couldn't really enforce much. Um, what it did was to come up with very good resolutions, very good policies, and then, you know, leave it to the member states to adopt and take them, go back home, and then ratify. Um, But then the G20 came in, and as I mentioned earlier, and started, you know, giving it teeth and so on. You know, the international organizations can only do so much. I mean, for instance, the, the, the current push, and when you're talking about globalization and the a fair globalization and so on. The current push, uh, which we discussed in the B20 and, and the ILO in Moscow in November, and I think it will be discussed now in the BRICS 26th, um, 20, I think 27th of, of this month, is, is what we refer to as the labor demographics um, of the world, um, as, as, as well as irregular migration. Now, when you talk about the labor force demographics, you will see that throughout the world, all the countries are growing on a negative, okay? So if you go to Europe, Europe I think is growing a minus four. If you go to the U.S., the U.S. I think has a modest 1% growth or something like that. China itself is not growing that great. You know, they've even changed the laws now. You can now, you know, they're trying to change so you can have two babies instead of one and women can be given more work and, and things like that because it's desperate. You know, the labor force is getting old and there aren't people who are coming through and, and so on. But Africa, is the McKinsey uh, report you were talking about, McKinsey three, Lion, four years lions ago, on the move. Lions on the Move, and followed by another one, they, were, they, they talk about how Africa is the next terrain.
0: Lionesses on the Move. The
2: lioness okay. on the Move. And, and we are growing hugely. We are going to be the next uh, biggest thing. Uh, but when you look at the labor demographics, you see an opportunity for Africa mm-hmm. and for South Africa. It's a huge opportunity, but we're missing it. So what happens is that, you know, because everybody else is going backwards, and we have a huge unskilled base of people, unskilled and unemployed, and a world, a global village that's looking for these skills. So one of the things we suggested at the conference in Moscow was, well, when we are under pressure as a world, and we are being attacked, whether you blame the derivatives in California, whoever you blame, the fact of the matter is we're all in trouble and we all came together to bail each other and do all the things we do. We can also do a positive, a constructive, proactive planning for the the global village by ensuring that a South Africa or Africa that has this people Sends them across somewhere so that you don't have these EU barricades and whatever. You know, For instance, you know, we talk in terms of financial matters that you cannot be protectionist, right? We say protectionism is bad. It's going to mess you up. It's going to make you worse. But take it the other way around and say, why don't we talk about protectionism when we talk about human resources, when we talk about people? Because if we are protectionist when you talk about people, it messes us up as a village because it's not sustainable as a global village. So there's an opportunity for us to send our people up and to bring them backwards. But unfortunately, when we keep talking about uh, this colonial thing and this language we use, you know, it's difficult for us to sit around the table and talk about the things that matter. I'm not going to go as far as you went because you're going to get on a plane and go back home, whereas me, I still have to stay here. Um, but, you know, and, and Mardi had already explained what happens You know, when you criticize, uh, you know, uh, people here. But
1: Matoons can I, can I yeah. jump Please in? jump there? in, I saw you going, yes. <laughs> because, you know, and I think this is the opportunity, And yeah. this is, but, but you had. You need to have a belief. And it's, and that for me does start with some leadership. Yeah. Doesn't have to be brilliant. Doesn't have to be highly educated. But it, it's someone who says, there's an opportunity and I believe that you can make it happen. For example, instead of all the oil, the gas, the natural, the minerals, the resources, which is now going to be going to other places, through other Different parties, either to China or India or wherever. Why don't we export human yeah. potential? Why not? Because if you look at this continent, I mean, of the seven billion people in the world, of an Africa that's close on a billion, yeah. um, more than half of those are under the age of 15.
2: Yeah.
1: So this could be the potential future labour
2: force for the world. Europe is an old-age home. I'm sorry. And and it also helps us. It also. (laughs) What what is happening? You're raising your hand.
1: (laughs) Expats, not enough. You know, and and for me, this is so. So what you do is you're losing a few of the highly educated people, but I think this is the, the single huge challenge and opportunity that we face. For me, I was struck just on a couple of trips, and I'm by no means an expert in a little bit of the travel in, in, in Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana, I met more PhDs with Oxford, Harvard, Brown, Carnegie, PhDs, than ever in my life before. Nigeria appointed a woman, the, the IT and telecommunications minister. I managed to see her within two weeks of asking. Hmm. I've not managed to see our minister. No.
2: I, I have a similar experience. I was, in, <laughs> I was in Monrovia four weeks ago in Liberia. I saw five ministers in three yeah. days.
1: I mean, literally within two weeks. So, so asking for an appointment, a week before I nearly had the shock of my life, when the office phoned and said, just checking, you will arrive at this time, we will have this meeting. It happened exactly as per schedule. They've appointed a new minister of agriculture in Nigeria, 39-year-old Oxford graduate. The, the, the point is, we, we sit, and that's for me the single silver bullet, if you can,
2: but, it, but it's a problem because you, you you're speaking to people who don't hear. So the question is, you know you know the, the I mean some of us I mean there's a colleague here who's in the crowd, I'm not gonna mention by name in case I embarrass Shelfry. him. I just saw him, yeah. <laughs> we we come from the same organization called Business Unity South Africa. But you know, for me, it's, it's, it's a problem because some of us get into so much trouble because, you know, you're always called controversial when you speak Ask Yes. No,
0: when Jimmy Manu doesn't like
2: you. Or, or whoever, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, for me, I mean, I will never forget, for me, it was very traumatic that I went into, I was invited uh, into a, we were supposed to come and endorse for the elections, the municipal elections, 5,000 people in the room. The president is sitting there, Um, the guy who is the chairman of the Gauteng um, ANC of Mashatile is sitting there. Our kids are close, close friends, but, you know, us, we're just okay. So whilst we're chatting, uh, I'm asked to speak and endorse because I'm the one who's been asked to do so as president of the black organizations and so on. So I then look at the president and say to him, Mr. President, you know, when you came in five years ago, this CADA deployment thing, we talked about it. We talked about... The fact that you know you can't only listen to people who are in prison and people who are in exile or people who are in trade unions. There's other people. There are other people. There's us. We know they, we can't turn the clock backwards and go to prison you know, and, 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 and we, we can't exactly ask to go into exile, you know, we here. you know, things have changed, you know, we all here, so at what stage do we give input, at what stage does anybody listen to what we have to say, and, and, and when I reminded him that he promised five years, six years prior with Matthew Posa making furious notes back then and other people, and uh, you know, I mean, Matthew Posa's wife is my relative, is my cousin, so you know, I mean, I. mean, he didn't take it back. I still go to his anyone. house. You know, don't tell anyone. But but the fact of the matter is I criticize him too because all of them were the leaders. I left that meeting and I was told I disrespected the president. I was told I was pointing a finger at the president. I never pointed once. <laughs> it was like a crocodile. You know. I, I, I didn't. I did not do anything. You know, so, so that is the reality, unfortunately, to say what do you do? You end up then being very frustrated. You know, a colleague of mine who is a staunch ANC member. A staunch ANC member. I told you the story. We went together to the rehearsal for Mangawum, to the, 100th, the, the centenary celebrations. We never saw such chaos in our lives. Nev- I've never seen such chaos. I mean, old elderly people walking up that stadium. I got lost. I couldn't get into my suite. For an hour and a half and nobody could tell me how to get to the suite none of the people that were trained there could tell me how to get but it's okay i'm still fairly young i'd like to think but and fit and fit i think but i was watching elderly people walking with sticks who are committed anc people walking around the stadium hoping to get there and eventually they gave up they couldn't get in you know at the stadium so we decided okay we because now we don't want to be Openly, criti- uh, you know, uh, 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 criticizing the ANC and so on. So we wrote an article in a magazine together, and we made it clear we are members of the ANC. We remain members of the ANC, but we just think we could do things differently. The Freedom Charter says, you know, we're trying to show that we're like we're the people. You know, one, two, three, four, five. This is what we've done. This is what we haven't done. It would have been nice to save a speech that says we tick these ten. We're going to work on these 20, the next 100, or whatever. We didn't do any of that. In fact, we listened to a four-hour speech where an aunt of mine sitting in the rural villages sent me an SMS, and we've never forgotten this SMS. We're sitting there, in the, we're listening, she's watching on TV, and she said in Kosa, akamameleki. Now, akamameleki in Kosa is not easy to translate, but it means it is impossible to listen and understand him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay? I mean, that's loosely translated. He says this on an... She says, and I start... I show it to her. I show everybody, everybody. says, Yeah, go figure. And we're all sitting there, you know, so I mean, I can say that I'll go as that far. I won't, I won't go as far as you went, like I said, but that's you the know, problem.
0: You um, know, the blessing of having a really good panel is that I don't get to do much work, but the curse is that the audience doesn't ask questions. So we've touched on a lot of issues here tonight. Um, we probably have time for two questions. Derek, when do we need to be out of here? Um, so well, well, I can't sit a hell of a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, okay, back there. So we've got two questions back there, and then we'll go to you. You mentioned earlier that um, about... Would you stand up, please, because we can't uh, see you. Uh, you mentioned
1: exporting uh, I'm um, I don't think graduates out of school out of university are well trained. The guy from
0: politics called from very Google work, coming from a well-to-do company, he's not really disadvantaged, he can't be. Um, lastly, Jonathan Dunstan was where they sent from various universities in the country, they send some first-year undergrad students to other foreign universities. They all said the same thing. They said they know so much more than us. I share that sentiment you might go to your Friends, one of is they
1: just go and your question is? Now, I, I think the, the, the issue is how can we export skills if that's the quality of skills. And that's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. The point is if we see the, the potential opportunity, and I'm talking 30 years, if we see the opportunity, then we need to start to prepare for it. But the way that we are going now, it's impossible. It, it, it will just not happen.
2: And, and, yeah, and that's yeah. the whole point, really, is because we're saying we're unskilled, we need skills. The skills are over there, so we can get skills transference from over there, so you come back home.
0: Yeah, there was another question. Yes, sir.
3: I'm name to two
2: comments. One is Okay, Baba.
0: To his friends, uh, Tunz.
2: Are you selling at a discount?
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, The the second comment I would like to make is um, that we talked about leadership. Leadership is
1: about awareness, a dealer in hope, it's about results. My question is as follows The ANC
3: has been a party, the governing party, recently, and it's over years old. Why does the AMC allow this type of vision? You know, Ooh. Henrico,
2: when we were at the centenary celebrations, this colleague of mine I'm talking about coms uh, so we uh, we were in bloom, so we traveled every evening to welcome to her home. We discussed every night who we were asked each other, who makes these decisions in the ANC? And now you must remember, we are quite we're not bad in terms of you know getting in touch with the leaders. But we couldn't answer this question. And then we sat there and she says, Who is in the core of the ANC? She phoned even one or two people whilst we're driving at twelve o'clock midnight. She says, Who made that decision? And it is after that that we realized, actually, it's got to a point where it's become amorphous. You can't quite tell who makes the decisions. Don't you have a KFC
3: <laughs> I think that
2: you is: only get I think that is very anachronistic. Yeah. You I don't only... see how you can juxtapose the two, but, but I'll think about it and respond later. <laughs>
0: So thank you very much for those. I I would like to ask my panel because we have lots of wine out there and then you can engage directly. But there are some key messages that you're delivering to us. We're not open for business. We're not particularly nice. We're leading through the rearview mirror by looking in the rearview mirror about everything that happened in the past. And maybe to Mardia's point, we really need to focus on the 20 to 35-year-olds and kind of just put the rest of the leadership. So that's a topic for another time, but we're not in good shape, Mm. but there's wine out there. So let's do one round quickly, Ivan, Mardia, and then Tunz, and keep it brief, especially (laughs) Tunz.
3: Well, I I would just like to say no no one's in very good shape either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Britain is in terrible shape. Yeah. <laughs> There's a challenge Shh. to Cameron going on at the moment. There's no growth. Um, the economic policy is not working. There's all sorts of issues. France is a terrible state. They've got a lousy president, which uh, they're trying to get rid of him. Uh, they got the, real, uh, the last one uh, was even worse. Um, uh, Ge- Germany is no longer growing. Japan isn't growing for 20 years. So uh, Ireland, which my, so own, we're in my good own company, yeah. right. Ireland, right. Ireland, my, my, own, my own country, I, you know, we had we, property prices fell fifty percent um, five years ago fifty um, uh, percent everybody 's got problems so south africa 's got problems it 's also got incredibly Large assets and a huge ability. We talk about exporting skills. Well, I think I think you shouldn't export skills. You keep them at home. Uh, and one does see an awful lot of South Africans in Britain. I don't find them arrogant. I find them. I mean, they are getting on incredibly well. They're rising to the tops of so many companies in South Africa. You see in the hospitals in South Af- in, in Britain now. You see them, um, uh, uh, you know, doctors. Uh, uh, I, I always wince when I go into a hospital, as I have unfortunately had to do several times. And a lot of the Nurses are South African nurses who've been trained here, very precious nurses, and and they go go to Britain with no cost to Britain, Um, um, and that's that's a great shame. So uh, you know, uh, everyone's got problems. South Africa's got problems, Um, but you know, South Africa's also got uh, enormous amount of things going for it. And uh, you know, it's 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 it's, uh, someone said the other day that. um, that uh, everyone has always given South Africa five years. For, for the past hundred years, people have given South Africa five years, and people still talk about five years before there's a crisis. But, you know, I don't think... You know, it's it's, it's, it's going it's to get through.
0: Thank you, Ivan. I'm,
1: I'm incredibly optimistic about this continent. I, I think the innovation... We sat in a village in, in, in outside of Kenya where people can buy um, their bread with their thumbprint through a system that has been developed. Tangaza Pesa, which is like the MPeza Safaricom system. So the innovation that is happening on this continent, we're a frontier society. When, when you listen to some of the statistics about patents that have been patented here, the number per GDP is far exceeds other areas because we're a frontier society. We need to survive here. Africa is not for sissies, and I think that's the—that for me is at the same time when I get despondent, and I look at how we are able to pull together when we've got a massive challenge ahead of us, like the World Cup or like some. We can do it. There's there's unbelievable goodwill and resilience and innovation. Absolutely, Um, and
0: we just need to start to believe again. That's good news, Tuns.
2: Briefly. I, I, I think this is discriminatory they spoke for law <laughs> okay that's a that's a way of getting white people to back off so what,
3: <laughs> what
2: <laughs> so 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 what happens I think for me is that is that there, there was there's an advantage for me I always tell people to apartheid I'm a product of Bantu education I'm a product of what we did not want to see happening right and for me, it made me extremely innovative. It made me very entrepreneurial. And there's many of us where we always had to make a plan. I mean, it, I'm not justifying and condoning what happened, but I'm saying it made you think, right? And also we have this saying, a burr mak a plan. Because the boor refused to come out of the lager when it was not acceptable to have apartheid and used to make a plan. So we all together can make a plan. I think we need to go back to that and just remember that and find a way to make a plan and speak. Because that's the other thing we don't do. We let one or two people speak and then they die and they get crushed and other people keep quiet. But ultimately, we still have one of the best countries in the world. We really do. We have the best people in the world. We just need to take collective responsibility and know that each person is an agent agent of change. All of us.
0: Thank you. I, lady, ladies and gentlemen, I think we should start a political party, but, um, but until we get all that wine consumed, we can't do that. Please um, join me in thanking our three esteemed panelists for their contributions and for making us think. And also, let's all hope that Ntunzi breaks his 3 hours 21 no, record all in all the August. Thank you very much for being <laughs> here. Thank you for participating. us here. <laughs>